Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. But yeah, VeggieTales is rich, is rich material. VeggieTales is rich. Dairy Tales is even richer. Is that <laughs> that's a food joke? Oh, There's no Dairy Tales. Yeah, because like VeggieTales was like the biggest attempt to be like, we're going to sell hardcore evangelical Christianity in a way that like you might accidentally pick it up at Walmart for your kid on VHS. Mm-hmm. The story today and also like VeggieTales um, always reminds me of like this really weird part of biblical history. I didn't Sunday school ever or any of that kind right. of stuff. So I don't like, we've been over this. Yeah, 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 I've been yeah. over a million times. So whenever I do Bible stuff, especially like Old Testament stuff, mm-hmm. I learn that like the way that because my wife's a former evangelical so she like fills me in on these things so there's like a, just a decent chunk of the bible that this part comes from where essentially mm-hmm. like the ancient israelites go on like a ethnic cleansing campaign across the middle east but it's like sold as like a good thing and they write like little kid yeah. songs about it and i'm like that's that's disturbing yeah she said that there's like a kid song about jericho where they use a oh, horn sure to is. destroy an entire city and kill everybody in it and i'm like hey hmm. would you believe that it's an episode of veggie tales and the song they do in veggie tales for jericho slaps so hard it's not fair like it is so good we are definitely going to end up doing a jericho episode because jericho feels very high on like it was aliens it was an alien horn that took down the walls (laughs) it was an alien horn that blew it down did we cover that a little bit in the ark of the covenant episode i can't remember i don't know you did that one who knows anymore there's also like the noah's ark story is turned into this like you know oh like look how cute look at all the animals on the boat and all this kitty stuff and i'm like oh it's about a time where God decided he fucking hated humanity and destroyed most of it. And I'm like, oh. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the good people. Except for Steve Carell and his family in Evan Almighty, the sequel <laughs> everyone was asking for. Um, I remember in Veggie Tales that they did a David and Goliath story. And this is where Veggie Tales really like implanted itself into my brain. Implanted itself because they're ah. vegetables. Into my brain because the way that David uses a slingshot to defeat Goliath, that's canon that's in the Bible. But the way they portray it in VeggieTales is that Junior, who is David, throws a rock at Goliath and it just sort of like clink bounces off his head and he's like, oh, and he collapses. And like for the longest time, I thought that just like slingshots were just like you throw a rock and it hits someone in the head and they just sort of pass out until I grew up and I realized that slingshots are like 
incredibly, <laughs> incredibly violent weapons that will just absolutely destroy you. Yeah, yeah. If you get hit in the head with one. I'm pretty sure he used a slang in the Bible, and slangs can also like you can you can whip a rock so fast you could like yeah crack yeah. someone's skull open with that. Oh my gosh. Is there a part where Junior also takes out a sword and cuts off Goliath's head? <laughs> <laughs> there is not that part. They they left that part out. I remember my experience with VeggieTales, which will surprise literally nobody, is they had a very extended parody of Star Trek where they called mm-hmm. Scotty Scooter. Yes. I think popcorn was involved at some point. And I remember there was a recreation of David and the Lion's Den because that is the only David and the Lion's Den story that I actually know because I have no idea what its biblical context is at all. Mm, fair enough. Yeah, th- there's so much of VeggieTales that is just in my brain forever. Um, and we're not going to talk about any of it today because we're going to talk about aliens. We are going to talk about David and Goliath on this here podcast. This is a podcast, everyone. Thanks for listening. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, it's a podcast. Um, Hi, welcome to It's Probably Not Aliens, a podcast where just like uh, VeggieTales, the creator also believes that tomatoes do not get to see the gates of heaven and therefore they can only Mm -hmm. refer to God as loving you and not them. That's (laughs) right. That's right. Bob the tomato will not see everlasting life through Jesus Christ. That is, he cannot. Is, He's oh a God. vegetable. Vegetables always seem so like as innocuous and innocent as Christian propaganda can be. Mm-hmm. But here's where the line is where it's like the creator's mother wanted to make sure the creator insisted that all of the vegetables never refer to God loving them. They love you, the audience, because yeah. vegetables will not see heaven. Yeah. Larry the cucumber is not like, remember, kids, God loves us. Nope, can't say us because you're a vegetable, Larry, and you don't have a soul, Larry, all right? Larry has no soul. Those dead eyes looking into you. Larry has no soul. (laughs) He only loves the children and the people watching the cartoons. He does not love... How sad is that? If you translate that to real life, imagine me, a human, going around and being like, remember everyone, God loves you, but not me, but not me. He does not love me, but he loves you. That's sad. If you love all that, then boy, have we got a show for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a podcast called It's Probably Not Aliens, where we look into ancient astronaut theory and just a lot of pseudo history, pseudo archaeology. And we learn a little bit along the way about the real people, places and things. My name is Scott. I am the one of the hosts of this podcast who knows absolutely nothing. That's my job. I just come in here and I know nothing and I learn. My name's Tristan and I'm the one who furiously finds a topic to delve deep into every weekend, somehow manages to do it. And this one, guys, this mm-hmm. one, I, I think I went too deep. This podcast goes to some places. You went too deep in this one. You told me before we started recording that you didn't think this could be a full episode. No. And now suddenly it is. So here's the thing. like We have covered multiple times on yeah. IPNA, which is what real IPNA ads call the show. We call it IPNA. Sure. IPNA. Yeah, real IPNA fans uh, call it. Real, it's probably not aliens heads. Mm-hmm. We have covered the fact that ancient aliens seems very insistent on trying to make the argument that humans and aliens have human-alien hybrid babies that manifest as monsters, Nephilim, yep. which are sort of like sure. half-angel people in the Bible, and, and all sorts of various gods, maybe. Yeah. yeah. All those kinds of things. Even some actual gods. Like uh, we talked about last week how they believe that Krishna was like maybe an alien. Oh, yeah. And so this comes up a lot. This comes up a lot. And this is likely because it features in a lot of UFO abduction narratives. 
because mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with bodily violation and et cetera, et cetera. They love this stuff. They Asian love, yeah. aliens, fans, or just alien conspiracy theorists, they love this idea of human-alien hybrids. Mm-hmm. They lo- can't get enough of it. Yeah, so Goliath came up in the previous episode of Ancient Aliens, mm-hmm. and I was sitting on this for a long time being like, I don't think we need to do this because we're going to retread a lot of ground. And then I realized mm-hmm. that talking about the real history is an important part of it. And also, sure, I can finally give full time to just kill this idea of humans interbreeding with aliens, like 100%. Okay, you're calling your shot real early. You're saying this is the last episode of this podcast that we will do about alien-human hybrids is what you're saying. I'm not saying it's the last one. I'm saying that I'm finally going to confront this idea that I've always just been like, it's ridiculous. Why do we even address it? And I'm like, fine. Fine. I'll address the weird, the weirdness. Do it. Um, Yes. So here's the claim that uh, millions of people around the world believe. (laughs) (laughs) I need to get that on the soundboard and just like start every episode with like, millions of people around the world believe and then you do the claim. Exactly. So the theorists suggest that Goliath, the giant of the Bible, that's why we were talking about veggie tales for 10 minutes before the show started. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that Goliath of the Bible might have been a half alien, half human creature because there's no other way that a person could be six foot nine. It's impossible. It's impossible. Too um, tall. Can't tall, be that tall. Yeah. Uh, and also described that Goliath might have been like a genetically engineered weapon to use against the Israelites, implying that he was not just like some random creature, but made for a purpose, which then mm. raised the question, are aliens anti-Semitic? Do aliens hate the Jewish hmm. people? And that's why they decided to make monsters to attack them. Lots of interesting questions and things that you're <laughs> positing already. Yeah. Hmm. And also, Goliath is not the only giant in the Bible. Mm-hmm. There are big parts of the Old Testament. I believe Noah talks about giants at certain points. Sure. Like one of the biggest parts of evangelical Christian young earth creationist stuff is trying to show that giants exist. Biggest parts. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like young earth creationists try to do two things. Prove that giants exist and also find yep. living dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Those are like the two big younger you, they creatures. They love that. those. Yeah, that's their big thing. That's what they get hung up on. Mm-hmm. So suggesting that there is another category of non-human giants in history, and then they kind of make a bunch of comparative, like look at all these other societies that had giants or hairy wild men that are evidence <laughs> that this is definitely a real thing. And the possibility is raised that Goliath is an extraterrestrial entity, which ties into the greater ancient astronaut theory that aliens have been influencing human history. So like, that's like the main, the main shtick. Yeah. You've heard it all before, folks. We've heard it before. Unless this is your first episode, then that is ancient astronaut theory, which I guess we should reiterate sometimes because any episode could be someone's first episode. But ancient yeah. astronaut theory is basically the idea that extraterrestrials, aliens, have aliens. Uh, come to Earth in our past and have been meddling with history in one way or another. Yes. And if this is your first episode, I promise we don't talk about VeggieTales this much. No, no. We keep but our we VeggieTales talk to a minimum. Yeah, that's just before Tristan and I start recording. We get it all out. We, we try to anyway. Before we start recording. Yeah. So that's like the main thing. So today we're talking about Goliath, which, by the way, one of the coolest names in the Bible. So cool. So re- it's like a name that became a term, right? It's mm-hmm. it's which the Bible is full of, but I feel like Goliath is a huge, a literally a huge one where it's like now Goliath just means giant, basically. Yeah. A few of my favorite references is the Goliath, which is a D&D race that are sort of like half giant people, which fits. Ooh. The other is some of the older folks. I say older folks, people born in the 80s who were mm-hmm. old enough to play certain types of video games in the 90s might 
remember my favorite, which is Michael Dorn, Worf, voicing a StarCraft unit called the Goliath, which was sort of like a mech that the Terrans had. Ooh. Every time I hear Goliath, I hear Michael Dorn, Worf going, Goliath online. <laughs> Oh, legend. I love him. Yeah, I hated them because, as we all know, as everybody knows, Goliaths are very strong ground-to-air things, and they're very effective against Mutalisks, and I was a Zerg player, so obviously not a fan. Yeah. That was all that it's all covered in the Bible. Yeah, that's in the Bible. <laughs> when uh, mm-hmm. when Goliath beats the Zerg Rush by using uh-huh. his strong uh, ground air missiles. That's right. So the Goliath of the Bible is found in the book of Samuel in the Hebrew version of the Bible mm-hmm. and is described as being a giant, a Philistine specifically, which I didn't even mm-hmm. know that this is where the term Philistine came from, but uh there we go. Yeah. Makes sense. So he's a Philistine giant who was defeated by David. I'm guessing the famous king, King David from history. Wasn't king at the time. Yeah, but this yeah. Is how he becomes king, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the king is too much of a coward to face the Philistines head on in one-on-one combat. Basically, like, the Philistines challenge the Israelites to be like, hey, send out your biggest guy. We'll send out our biggest guy instead of having a battle. We'll, like, have, like, we'll settle this, like, a one-on-one duel. And the, the king is like, nah. Yeah. I don't want Very it. cinematic. Yeah. And it shows that King Saul is not fit to rule Israel. No. Because Saul would have probably been the one to fight Goliath if it had gone by the rules. Then David, little guy, stated for being this little guy who has no chance, you know, didn't take his creatine shakes, doesn't lift, uh, had no gains. Yeah. Goes to take on Goliath, who is described as anywhere between six foot nine and nine foot nine. So being humongous. Yeah. Now I'm going to mix up. I don't know if all the stuff in the Veggie Tales episode that I remember is all in the Bible, but I believe just to get some more texture to this story, I believe what happened is that they try equipping David with a bunch of like gear and weapons and armor and such. And he's like, this ain't me. This ain't me, bro. But he does go to a river and just pick out some nice smooth stones for his sling. And it's just like, I'm just going to go out there like no armor, just a couple rocks and my sling. And that's how I'm going to beat this this guy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. This all takes place in the Valley of Elah, where the Philistines and Israelites are at war. Goliath then, twice a day for 40 days, which, you know, in a Jewish religious stuff, like numbers and stuff like that really mean like a lot of things. There's a lot of symbols, like 40 days and 40 nights shows up a lot in yeah. uh, uh, the Bible. There's a whole book of the Bible literally called Numbers. So numbers are important. I, I have to know what the significance of that is, because I do not know. I know that there is a book called the Book of Numbers, but it's like, yeah. I, it's not just like oh, a book full of numbers. <laughs> it is, though. Is it the begatting section of the Bible? Bible or this person lived for 908 years and begat 43 children or I think that's part of it it's also just uh, gosh my bible studies history is is failing me at this point because that was always a book of the bible that like people skipped because it was literally just numbers it was like a census basically for like the whole book of just like yeah Okay. Okay. So Goliath challenges the Israelites twice a day for 40 days to send their champion for single combat, but Saul is afraid to accept the challenge. So David steps in. He declines to wear Saul's armor and takes only a staff, a sling, and five stones. There you go. See, Veggie Tales didn't fail me. Yeah. Goliath goes out with a full suit of armor and a javelin, and David goes out with no armor, just a staff and a sling. They basically do the required exchange of curses and vows for divine retribution, basically saying, I hate you, and my God hates you, and my God's going to kill your God. And the other one's like, no, my God's going to kill your God. Yeah. The way things worked in in the Iron Age, I guess. Yeah, the way things work today still. Yeah, yeah, we know how it goes. Then what happens is, is David uses his sling to hit Goliath in the forehead, causing him to fall. And then because he has 
has knocked him prone, he gets advantage on all attacks and uses <laughs> uh-huh. some sort of blade that comes out of nowhere to decapitate Goliath, cut his head yeah, off. Yeah, gets a critical hit. Yeah. Yeah, he just does that. And it's always been used as like a symbol of like underdogs. Yeah. I mean, this is a big thing. I know that you and I aren't particularly religious people, but like stories like this that break out of their own culture and just become like a symbol and a, a storytelling like device. Like everyone's familiar with a David and Goliath story. Like we all know what that means. A little guy versus a big guy and the little guy wins. Like we all get that and it's cool and it's just like a fun little story mm-hmm. and it all originates right here. Yep. And I mean, like, as you pointed out, shows that like, you know, brain over brawn. Mm-hmm. Or what's the term that Lex Luthor uses? Mind over muscle or whatever. Oh, sure. Anything like that. Yeah. But as you showed, uh, having a, a whip strong accuracy with a sling is way more deadly than being a big guy with a sword. Yeah. Like a sling can very easily like just destroy somebody's skull and kill them instantly. But either way, uh, the Philistines losing the combat flee. The Israelites follow them. David takes Goliath's armor and his head and is introduced to King Saul as son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. And I guess becomes king of the Israelites. And that is how King David, I guess, uh, a very big and important king in the Bible happens. Yeah. And he's just a guy. And then suddenly, boom. And Michelangelo decides to make a statue of him. Or is that a different David? Is there multiple Davids? This is like the big David. I don't think there's another David. What is the lion's den David? Is this the same David? David. Maybe there are multiple Davids. Okay. This is one of the Davids. No, the lion's den is Daniel, not David. Daniel. Oh, right. Okay. Fair. Okay. Too many D names. Yeah. Okay. So that is how we know about it. Let's look into the ways that we've interpreted Goliath throughout history. His story first appears in the Deuteronomic history, written in multiple Mm. editions from the late 7th to the post-exilic period of Jewish history. The structure involves a base narrative, but over time we see multiple editions, likely post-exile after they've been exiled from Israel, adding context and details, which basically means that like a lot of narratives, myths stories, there was this base story that gets passed around, but through the oral tradition, new contexts and new details show up in different renditions of the story. This is very Mm -hmm. often for how folklore mutates and spreads. Mm -hmm. It also results in a lot of times when you're trying to then condense it all into a single narrative, a lot of contradictions. And so in the story of David and Goliath, there's a lot of weird inconsistencies. This is why like a lot of the stories in the Bible, but also in a lot of like, you know, a lot of religious text has inconsistencies because they're taking a folklore story that has been spread around through oral tradition for years and years and years, and then try to condense multiple different versions of it into a single like narrative. Try to try and make them all make sense. Yeah. Like a good yeah. example would be if you want to show is the New Testament version of the Bible, because if I recall correctly, several books are the same story written from different perspectives. And there are lots of different details and inconsistencies between them. But yes, what it does is it shows like probably how the Jesus narrative had evolved and what the different versions of it were at the time when people were writing all sorts of different narratives. And then when the Council of Nicaea decided which ones were going to be official or not. Is that, yeah, yeah. Right. The gospel specifically. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, for example, one of the big examples of an inconsistency that shows up is his height. There are different varying heights. Some say that he was six foot nine. Some say he was nine foot nine. And those kinds of inconsistencies in a story suggest that- There's a big difference between those two heights. One is just a really tall guy. The other one is not a human being. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) 
exactly. Like six foot nine, I mean, was pretty rare, especially like it's even rare today. Somebody who's six foot nine is pretty uncommon. That is, yeah, that's well over two meters tall, but uh, it's not unheard of. Like there are a lot of people in the NBA who are over seven feet tall. Yeah. You know, it's even more uncommon in the Iron Age when people didn't eat as many vegetables and, you know, weren't as healthy back then. Especially in veggie tales. Then you would, that's cannibalism. You can't do that. Uh, Yeah. Eat this caprese salad for it is my body. Um, Because it's a cucumber and a tomato. So it's no, a caprese it. salad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like a six foot nine would be rare and probably would be like, whoa, that yeah. guy's huge. Even Big today, guy. that would be the thing. But either way, but nine foot nine is, yeah. But uh, nine foot nine. That's impossible. The, the tallest person who ever lived, I think, was like maybe nine I was nine about to look tall. it up. Robert Wadlow, yeah. I think was his name. And he only got that tall because he had like a pituitary disorder and he died when he was like 27 because of he was... Yes. His body could yes. not handle being that big. <laughs> Couldn't crack nine feet tall. Eight foot 11 inches or 2.72 meters. So not even the tallest recorded person that we have like photographs of and actual measurements of could crack nine feet, let alone nine foot nine. Yeah. There's like um, an interesting aspect of this, which is that another part of like the sort of biology of giants make it impossible, which is that like Robert Wadlow, I think died when he was like 22 or something like that because his body struggled to maintain circulation. Yeah. And so like a human that big would have serious health problems. I know that you're familiar with a very famous Great Dane who has lived well into his 60s, but most Great Danes don't even make it to 10 years old because they're so big. They get like joint problems and circulation problems and all sorts of problems. That's why big dogs, if anybody doesn't know this, I'm sorry, I'm going to break your heart, but um, big dogs tend to die young because they have so many of these health problems. Because they have so much love to give and they can't get it all out. That's That's all it is. Big dogs have so much love and it just fills them up until they just can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. That's all it is. But the thing is that when you see inconsistencies like this in a narrative, that probably shows that there were multiple versions that are sort of being integrated together. Mm -hmm. And there are also attempts to take different accounts. And oftentimes when trying to canonize or turn into like a single narrative, there will be other things written in to try and make things make sense, which I feel like uh, fits a lot in comic book logic where like something won't make sense from the past. So they will add a new thing so that it does make sense. Yes. A retcon, as they call it. Kind of like almost retcon means that you're changing something from the past, but this is more like trying to add an explanation for something that didn't make sense in the past. So now it does make sense. Well, retcon just means retroactive continuity. So I think it can still mean that you are adding some continuity in retrospect to be like, all right, this is actually how this makes sense. You can change things for sure, but it can also just mean that you are trying to make things make sense. Yeah, you'll be a really good retcon if we're talking about comic books that I feel like is a big one that always sticks out Mm -hmm. is I don't know why they insisted on having Scarlet Witch be a character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because the Scarlet Witch is supposed to be like a Soviet spy. You mean Black Widow? Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, Black Widow. Scarlet Witch is uh, is magnetic. Actually, Scarlet Witch doesn't make sense either in a different way. That gets confusing. But Black Widow is supposed to be like a femme fatale Soviet spy, which like there's no way Scarlett Johansson would have been old enough to have been an active spy by the time mm-hmm. the Soviets collapsed and they made the MCU. So they just had some like generic Russian thing. And then when we decided to make a movie yeah. delving into it. It made no sense. And everything was confusing. It was a little complicated. And yeah. I don't think it'll play at all into future MCU movies yeah. anyway. And the so. other one would be Scarlet Witch because Scarlet Witch is 
supposed to be the daughter of Magneto. Don't even get me. Holocaust Don't even survivor, get me. Which means that <clears throat> she's supposed to be like born in like the 50s. And Elizabeth Don't Olsen even get was me born started. in like 89, I think. Look, Tristan, you can't get me started on this because the comics have made it so complicated and so convoluted because sometimes her and Quicksilver are the son and daughter of Magneto. Sometimes they are the son and daughter of another hero called the Wizard. Sometimes the Wiz. they... The the wizard, that's his name. He was bitten by a mongoose and got powers. I'm not making this up. This is comic books. And then sometimes they are experiments that were created by the high evolutionary. And so like the comics don't even understand, don't, don't even know <laughs> who their parents are anymore. And sometimes they're mutants. And sometimes they're not mutants. And it's like, I don't know anymore. Scarlet Witch has the ability to change reality. So it kind of makes more sense that way. Yeah. But either way, in the MCU version of it, she's supposed to be like growing up in a poor Soviet country at a time when Malcolm in the Middle was on the air or yep. a, p- a poor communist country. And I'm like, I, yeah, um, time, yep. Yep. time doesn't yep. work yep. that yep. way. Yep. Um, it's complicated. So it's like in the MCU, did the Cold War last like a lot longer than it did here because the Soviets still were still around on. in the early 2000s? Still happening. Hasn't ended yet. Still happening. And that's one of the challenges when you're trying to adapt characters you designed in the 1960s to take place like 50 years later. Mm-hmm. The only good one they did, Captain America, because it's still fake. World War II? Sure. Frozen in time? This time he wasn't frozen for 10 years. He was frozen for 70 years. Even better. No mm-hmm. notes. It's good. And I feel like Iron Man makes more sense. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. yeah. But like some of the ones, especially those two that are so tied to like Cold War stuff, mm-hmm. I felt like it was just like, it made no sense. Anyways. Anyway. So what we see here is that in 2 Samuel 21, 19, there's a mention of Goliath being killed by a person named Elhanan, which also scholars see as an attempt to try and take different conflicting accounts and harmonize it. So we see that it was probably a big myth a very big myth, especially because it makes sense. If you think about the history of the Jewish people, there's a lot of examples of them being victimized by larger and more powerful powers in the Iron Age. Sure. And so a David and Goliath story would be an important part of their folklore. So it makes a lot of sense that it would have a lot of different versions. Yeah. The other thing too that it does is it tries to act as a story that discredits King Saul and elevates King David. Saul, tall and armed, was the expected challenger, but fails to act. So it also could have been part of a political project Project oh. to enforce David's claim to the throne, basically. Just like Saul sucks. Yeah. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why he didn't step up. Guess who did step up? David. David wasn't the stepdad. He's just the dad that stepped up. There you go. There's also some evidence of Greek influence in this story. Goliath's armor being like armor with a javelin and the concept of sending a champion to fight in single combat all resemble Greek traditions of warfare. So there might have been some influence from like the Homeric epics and stuff like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Furthermore, uh, the story also has a lot of similarities to the account of Nestor defeating the giant Eruthalion in the Iliad. So it could show that there it was, if not one inspired by the other, but like the same story that was prevalent in the region at the time. And that both of them are sort of different versions of the same story. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the name Goliath, etymologically, it's connected to the late 10th and early 9th century BC Philistine culture and linked to the Lydian king king Aliates. 
In later traditions, Jewish tradition links Goliath to David's own family via Orpah, who portrays him as extremely ungodly. Can I really quickly say that as I'm looking over your notes for this, Orpah is so close to Oprah, you just flip around the P and the R, that I really thought you were going to say Jewish tradition links Goliath to David's own family via Oprah. And I was yeah, that would be pretty interesting. I was, was going to have to ask a lot of follow-up questions. No, Orpah is a character from the Book of Ruth. Gotcha. They were just trying to like connect bloodlines to show that, to try and turn it into like a blood feud that happened down the line of like the godly side of the family and the ungodly side of the family, that kind of thing. Gotcha. In Islam, Goliath's name is Jalut, and they use as a parallel in the story of Muhammad because Muhammad was oppressed by the authorities of Mecca and that's Mm -hmm. why he had to leave. And so there's sort of a common connection between Jalut and like David and like all that kind of stuff is is brought up because obviously Islam is part of the Abrahamic tradition as well. So this is part of their things. Yeah. So Goliath is all over the place. The story's all over the place. It's got a lot of meanings. It's got a lot of interpretations. Mm Mm-hmm. But what does the archaeology say? Oh, Do we have anything? Someone's reading ahead. I'm trying to give you good segues Thank into you. your next section. So the interesting part about the, the six foot nine versus nine foot nine thing, one of the interesting aspects of that is that Goliath is described as having a height as, quote, four cubits and a span. And that's an interesting, specific measurement. Mm. So what happened is, is that archaeologists who have been excavating a site called Gath, which was supposed to be Goliath's home city, have maybe found out why that was specifically used. And that is that the walls at the gateway into Gath are about 2.38 meters or 7 feet 10 inches or four cubits in a span. Oh. So there could be a metaphorical interpretation. A researcher by the name of Jeffrey Chadwick suggested that the description of Goliath's height is metaphorical implies that he was as strong and imposing as the walls of Gath, which when I said this to Kelly at lunch yesterday, she mentioned mm-hmm. that this is a bad metaphor because if they wanted to do that, they should have made it so that Goliath was seven feet, 10 inches wide and he should have been an absolute <laughs> unit. <laughs> he should have been he like should have been Kingpin in the sh- Spider-Verse movie. <laughs> huge, beefy boy. Do you know those memes where like they stretch out the picture really wide and they're like, just like, yeah. it's, just, it's just like seven feet thick. That's Goliath. Yeah. No, but that makes sense. Yeah, it's a very specific measurement and they're just trying to be like, yeah, he is as strong as the wall that is this size. It's huge city that was their enemy. Um, Gath yeah. was originally occupied by Canaanites in the early Bronze Age, which was about 4,700 to 4,500 years ago, and then was rebuilt by the Philistines and at its peak around 3,000 years ago, which is when Goliath was thought to have lived. Scholars have yet to reach consensus of whether David and Goliath were actual people who actually met in battle at an actual point in history. You know, that's just archaeology. Yeah. That's hard. But at Gath, there is a pottery fragment that has been found that has names possibly related to Goliath along evidence of the city's destruction approximately 2,850 years ago. So there might be a little bit of evidence that hints that there might have actually been a Goliath or somebody that Goliath okay. is based on. All right. That's good. That's interesting. We have the bones. Uh, well, we'll get into bones later. It's interesting. Okay. Excavations at other sites also feature structures built on similar measurements, which adds credibility to the idea that Goliath's height description could be based on real architectural metrics of the time. So four cubits in a span was a commonly used metaphor, but there is also some more research that people want to do to maybe also investigate the theory that the term four cubits in a span, like saying that as how tall you were, was just a term for saying that somebody was big and strong. Like that guy's four cubits in the span, which means he's big and strong because that was like the dimensions of like these big defensive walls on cities. Okay. So it's just like a common, it could have been like a common term that people just knew of. Yeah. Like if I said you were as strong as an ox. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
There is a thought that there's like a mistranslation here, and that is what it means by Goliath. Like Goliath wasn't nine feet tall or or seven feet tall or whatever. He was just like really fucking big. Yeah, Yeah, he's a big guy. He's just a really big and strong guy. Hey, how tall are you? Should we reveal this information online? How tall we are? I mean, we could. It's nothing impressive. Like I I always say that like depending upon how generous the person measuring my height is, I have been told I'm between six and six one. So if somebody Mm -hmm. feels like they're trying to flatter me, they say I'm six one. And if somebody is being uh, more accurate. They're probably saying six zero, so I'm probably like in that zone. I honestly don't care very much about how tall I am because no. I'm not a guy who posts a picture of me with fish on dating profiles, so um, I don't <laughs> care. I'm in a similar spot too. I've always told people that like the thing about YouTubers, which we both are outside of this podcast, is that YouTubers are almost always much taller than you think they yeah, are. Hank Green, Hank Green is humongous. Everybody's big. You're taller than I thought, and I met you in person. The first Several time times. I ever met you was in person yeah but like every time i meet someone i'm just like oh no this is they're tall their camera makes them look short i think i'm like average i'm like average north american height for a guy i'm in a similar situation to you where i'm five like ten and a half but i always just say five ten but if someone wants to be polite and or not polite but if someone wants to be flattering they can say i'm five eleven <laughs> but i always just say i'm five ten which i think is like pretty average for a guy but as per our talk about um big dogs actually being shorter is actually better for your longevity anyway and now there is this is like a really wacky thing but there is like a group of people who have thought that one of the ways that we could improve society by like changing our like resource use and all that kind of things is to genetically engineer humans so that we all are really short so that there's like less resources per person and like um, interesting we would live longer because shorter people tend to live longer. We can all be short kings. Was David the original short king? There you go. That's the title of the episode. David's the short king. The OG short king. So that is like the main story of Goliath, the character, the myth, the figure, the idea of what David and Goliath mean. Now, let's get into the idea that yeah, you promised me something at the beginning of this episode, though, yeah. Tristan. You said you were going to officially debunk the idea of human-alien hybrids. Yes. And we've been talking about Goliath for a while, but we haven't gotten into the science of baby-making yet. Yeah, so... And that's what I'm here for. Yeah, so a common trope in ufology and ancient aliens is no exception, is that people and aliens make human-alien hybrids. Mostly because, like I said, a lot of you. UFO abduction narratives come from sleep paralysis situations or like nightmares and things like that. And sexual violation is a large part of them. And as they elaborate Mm -hmm. on that typically, and also reproductive control, like the horror of losing reproductive control, which by the way, is what alien is about. Um, Mm -hmm. either way, um, So like that features a lot and human alien hybrids show up a lot in the UFO cinematic universe and ancient aliens latches onto that and puts it into a lot of our historical monsters, giants, whatnot, in order to try and explain those in a literal way, because apparently nobody knows what metaphors are. So I want to put to bed the fact that it is so this is one of the most like scientifically illiterate parts of the entire thing, because the idea of aliens and humans being able to breed together is mm-hmm. one of the most ridiculous things that I have ever heard. Like, there's a lot of insane to believe shit that comes out of ancient aliens. The idea that humans and aliens can successfully breed, mm-hmm. even if they are like, you know, like an offshoot of humans from like 10,000 years in the future or something, is fucking crazy. So wild. Almost as wild as the idea that we can travel faster than light. Because that way we actually have a theoretical way that might be possible. Mm-hmm. This is like nowhere close. This is nothing. Yeah, there are uh, four 
major reasons why humans are never, ever, 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 ever going to be able to successfully interbreed with extraterrestrial life. Yes. And the reason, just to reiterate, the hard segue into this is because... That is a theory about Goliath, right? Yeah, that Goliath is a human-alien hybrid, and that's why he's so big. But this is why it's not possible. Hit me with it, Tristan. How make big man? Yeah. (laughs) How make big man? It's it's how make big big rock, but how make big man? How make big man? So keep in mind, and this also plays into the panspermia thing, because there's also the idea like, well, maybe we're genetically compatible because, you know, humans, or at least like life on Earth might have been seeded from life from space, which also I think I can debunk in this as well. So the first would be genetic compatibility. This is the one I think I've harped on over and over again on the show in the past, but humans have a very specific DNA structure that codes for proteins in a very specific way. Extraterrestrial species would likely have completely different genetic makeup from us. To give an idea, our DNA is like, I think like something like 90 plus percent related to almost every other living thing on the planet, right? Yeah. Yes. And aliens would be a completely different because their genetics come out of absolute nowhere. Like us, like Mm -hmm. me and a Staphylococcus bacteria have a common Mm -hmm. ancestor billions of years ago. Uh Uh, We would not even have that relationship with an extraterrestrial life. No. And it would be really hard to get it on with a bacteria already. It is true. Although there is some ways that we kind of have, but that's a different story. Don't tell me that. I'll get into it a bit later. All right. But even with that distant relation, we can't interbreed. Humans can't even interbreed with some of the most closely related animals to us on Earth. Like things Mm -hmm. that we have like 98 plus percent ability to interbreed with. Human Mm -hmm. beings can't interbreed with chimpanzees because of how different we are genetically. And we are almost identical genetically. Second is there's an issue with chromosomes. So DNA isn't just like one big line of text. It is we're split into chromosomes. We have 46, uh, which are different blobs of DNA. And when you breed, when you successfully interbreed, I don't know if anyone, uh, uh, I know there's some stork truthers here that are going to. uh, When we successfully interbreed, is that what you said? When humans humans successfully interbreed, we make gametes, which are basically cells where we take half of our chromosomes and half of the other partner's chromosomes and they go together. And that's how sexual reproduction happens. That's why humans are all animals that reproduce sexually are a sort of genetic mix of both parents. Yeah. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's all the virgins in the audience. Um, That's so, how it works, people. That's how it works. <laughs> it's not the stork, everybody. But the thing is that that has very specific things that need to, like, you need, like, this many chromosomes from this side and this many chromosomes from this side, or else you have weird stuff happen. For example, one of the most common chromosomal issues that comes up in humans is trisomy of the 23rd chromosome, which uh, we commonly call Down syndrome. And that comes from people with Down syndrome having an extra chromosome. Mm -hmm. There are two chromosomes that also determine uh, what sexual organs and stuff like that we're going to be born with. These are the famous X and Y chromosomes or X and X chromosomes. You get one from each parent. So like that's how it determines those things. But that is obviously a gross oversimplification because there are signs of people having multiple X chromosomes, which I think it's called super feminine or like hyper masculine, which is like XYY. And like there's so many different combinations there's of how that can so come out. so much. Um, yeah. Most of the time though, they do result in the person being infertile, but not always. And there are some also times where like there's some evidence that there might be a higher percentage of like hyper-masculine, like XYY type presentation in like the prison yeah. population, which might imply like a heightened testosterone count and aggression and that kind of stuff. But that oh, is, is very, very, very loose. 
Basically, what I'm saying is that if you don't have the exact right amount of chromosomes on both gametes, reproduction will cause issues. A good example is two very closely related species that can interbreed, and that is horses and donkeys. Mm. Horses have 64 chromosomes, and donkeys have 62. They make offspring called mules. Mules have 63 chromosomes, and because of that mismatch, they are born sterile, almost always. Mm. Apparently, it's not impossible for a mule to not be sterile, but it is functionally almost almost impossible. Like there's only yeah. been like a couple that have ever been discovered being able to breed in history. <laughs> wow. And that's a common thing, right? Like that is a thing that can happen. I believe something similar happens with the liger. I was literally thinking about ligers. Yeah. Because <laughs> they are real, but because of their chromosomal mismatch, they are also infertile, but also yeah. they have a growth hormone issue and ligers actually grow a lot bigger than both lions and tigers because oh. both of the stuff that like regulates their size yeah. goes because away. Because they have so much love to give. We've so been over this. Give. They have so much yeah. love to give. And I don't know for sure. I didn't research this, but I imagine that also results in ligers not exactly having a very long lifespan. Mm. So that's one. That is the, the genetic reason. The second mm. reason is there are issues with reproductive methods. So human fertilization has a specific mechanism, which is called sperm egg fusion. Okay. When a mom and a dad love each other very much, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one applies sperm to an egg. The two fuse, that's the two gametes I was talking about, because a sperm cell yes. is a male gamete and an egg cell is a female gamete. The two merge, and that is what happens to create new people through sexual reproduction. Yes. And obviously you're just making a joke about mommies and daddies loving each other. We're very inclusive on this podcast. Yes. It can be any gender of person as long as there's a sperm and an egg. Yeah. I feel like that has to happen. When a sperm owner and an egg owner love each other very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> or just fuck. Or yeah, just, they, fuck. They just fuck. They don't yeah, have yeah, to yeah, love each other at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but the thing is that the way that humans reproduce, it has to be a very specific type of thing. It has to be inside the egg owner mm-hmm. until we invent technology that allows us to do otherwise. So that's specific to how humans work. That is mm-hmm. very far from the only way that animals on Earth sexually reproduce. Mm-hmm. And an alien from another planet mm-hmm. will likely have a very different way of reproducing that is nowhere close to sex in the way that we imagine it. For example, another animal that we are mm-hmm. more related to than we would be to an extraterrestrial life is the sea urchin. The sea okay. urchin they reproduce by just shooting sperm and eggs into the water and they sort of just run into each other in the chop. Their own sperm and eggs? Yes. Like female and male sea urchins will just shoot their like, oh, just shoot their stuff saying. into the okay. water and they'll just kind of run into each other. That's how they breed. I thought you were saying sea urchins have both sperm and eggs and they just shoot them all. Like the one sea urchin will have both uh, their own sperm and their own eggs. That, and they that will could be the do- case, but that, that's not what I'm getting into. It's just more like how okay. they propagate their gametes to meet into each other. Humans, it needs to happen inside a human Mm -hmm. while they do it in the ocean. And for example, you could not do that with humans. You couldn't just shoot your DNA into the water and have that have that work because and just have it happen. Sperm cells and egg cells of humans need very specific conditions in order to just not die instantly. In fact, yeah. sperms specifically are very fragile because we have to like go through They're millions so of them just to have one fertilization. Yeah. Other thing too is that human embryos are very fragile and need 
to develop in a womb, an environment that gives them nutrition via a placenta, which is a sort of new organ that grows when an embryo is formed that links the blood between parent and child as they grow. So we need the very specific conditions that are in a human womb. So even a closely related mammal than ours that might have a different type of incubation process, like say a kangaroo with a pouch, we couldn't just put a human embryo in there. It wouldn't survive. Yeah, we couldn't put a baby in a kangaroo pouch and then have it grow. No. Or a fetus into a kangaroo pouch and have it grow into baby. Yeah. So like not only on the genetic level, but on like the sort of like organs and mechanisms level, it wouldn't work. The Mm. third barrier is biochemistry. We have very specific proteins for human reproduction that are specific to earth life forms that we need to have successful reproduction. Mm -hmm. A good example would be the protein syncytin, which I found out, and this is the part where I talked about us getting it on with bacteria, but actually viruses. So a protein that we have called syncytin is produced through our genes because of a retrovirus. Mm. A retrovirus is a virus Can change your DNA. Yeah. So thanks to some retrovirus, we can produce this protein. This protein is crucial for forming the placenta in mammals. And human embryos need a placenta in order to grow as embryos. Extraterrestrials probably don't have that because that is a specific to mammals thing that came from a virus that exists on Earth or existed on On Earth millions of years ago. Gotcha. But then the question is, where did that virus come from? Maybe it came from outer space. (laughs) Well, there you go. I mean, I would imagine that the DNA of the virus has also been traced back and has its own lineage that, you know, paleovirologists have probably looked into. Fair enough. Other thing, too, is that their biochemistry would be completely different from ours. And so any extraterrestrial cells in our body would probably be treated as invaders and would trigger our immune response. So if you were to have a good time with an alien and they Mm -hmm. left any of their cells inside of you, you'd probably get extremely sick because your body would respond to it like it was an infection. That was a couple episodes back when we did the book club about the first couple chapters of Chariots of the Gods. It was so funny listening to Eric Von Daniken be like, the very first thing that aliens would do when they show up to a new planet, or the very first thing that we humans would do when we show up to a planet with aliens, is we would want to just have sex and have babies all the time. That's all we, that's the first thing we would do. I don't want to kink shame Eric Von Daniken here. He seems like a horny guy for that. I mean, I've played Mass Effect. I get it. Some of the aliens are hot. This is part of another reason why it's probably so normalized in UFO and like alien culture is because it's such a normal part of science fiction where aliens in science fiction most of the time are just metaphors for different types of people. Mm. And so we have to have them close enough that we can interbreed. Yeah. Otherwise, I feel like for a lot of people, science fiction would be really hard to engage with because aliens that were actually like the aliens we're going to engage will probably be pretty difficult. Like, it'd be pretty hard to romance the tetrapod from Arrival, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Hey, I love a challenge, you know? (laughs) Somebody is definitely into the tetrapod from Arrival. And if we ever make the tetrapods from Arrival, I'm sure one enterprising individual will make an effort. But look, they're like written language is circles. You know what that is? That's a whole Tristan. And I can try my best. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. I'm definitely thinking that, yeah, the the second we meet aliens, someone is going to try and fuck it. I 100%. 100%. Um, Will they be able to have children is a different question. That's a different story. But another 
example to show about how our immune response will be a barrier is that even with human cells, unless there are very specific conditions, we also attack other human cells. Like the big example is if there's anybody who's listening to this podcast who has ever been the recipient of a donor organ, you are definitely aware of this, where if you have somebody else's Mm. organ transplanted into your body, it can save your life. And it is one of the most amazing miracles of medical science. It also means that you are spending the rest of your life on immunosuppressant drugs, where basically you have to take medication that suppresses your immune system so that your immune system doesn't actively attack the organ that has been transplanted. Even before then, you have to like have a match. Like you can't Mm -hmm. just take anybody's organs and put them in. You have to like match your blood type, all sorts of different genetic things to even have that chance of it working at all before you, you know, have to take the drugs to prevent rejection of this thing that is already a match. Yeah, Yeah. this is one of the reasons why scientists are working so hard to try and use stem cells to grow organs and laboratories because if you could just grow a version of an organ that you need out of your own cells, you would have no immune response to it and you wouldn't have to be on it. Yeah. There's actually like another case that I remember being really wild because one of the new things that's on this vein is there's one guy, I think like maybe a handful of people have been on this, but is one of the few people to have ever been cured of diabetes because type one diabetes is an autoimmune disorder. Mm -hmm. There are disorders where your immune response attacks your own cells. That's what lupus is. That's what arthritis is. Mm -hmm. But that's also what type one diabetes is. And this type one diabetic, he got a pancreatic cell transfer. So you got like basically a pancreas transfer Mm -hmm. or like an eyelet cell transfer or whatever. But um, he has to be on immunosuppressive drugs for the rest of his life, which I guess was preferable because I'm guessing his diabetes case was like really unmanageable or something like that. Like he had it really bad or something. And so now he's just not diabetic anymore, which is wild. And if we could do Wild. that, like, oh my God, so many more lives to be saved. Anyways, that's a, that's a complete side thing. The last is the environmental factors. And this is the part that we don't get to talk about that also comes up in UFOs, this, which is that yeah, aliens, this, <laughs> aliens always seem to be able to breathe oxygen. Yeah, I was going to say, so you're talking about there's, there's these four factors that would debunk this idea of interbreeding with aliens. And like the first three that we went over are very genetic, reproductive, biochemical stuff. This one feels like the most understandable for anybody. This is just environmental factors of alien life forms mm-hmm. being able to survive in the same space as us, yeah, right? Keep, yeah, keep in mind a couple things. Water, one of the most abundant mo- molecules in the universe, but also in our ecosystem, is mm-hmm. a very corrosive material. If you need yeah. evidence, just ask any mountain. Yeah. Just ask any canyon. But the other thing is that like oxygen is a highly reactive molecule as well. And the idea that another alien intelligence that evolved in a completely different planet, now there's, you know, might be able to make the argument that like life will likely show up in planets that are similar to us, but that's not necessarily Mm -hmm. required. Sure. Like most likely life is going to grow up on a planet that is very different from the one we're on, which means that their environment is going to be very different. And evolution works where you become hyper adapted to the very specific environment you live on. So if Mm -hmm. we meet extraterrestrial life, it's likely going to require an environment that is highly different from the one that we live on, which means that us being in the same room room together without like one of us being in a spacesuit might be impossible. Yeah. So we might not even be able to breathe the same air, let alone, let alone again, entrepreneurial, you know, interesting spacesuit designers, I'm sure will make something interesting happen. But yeah, uh, it does mean that there is another barrier to reproduction, like where those different entire biological trees would meet. One of the things that came to mind when I thought about this is like,
like technically an extraterrestrial intelligence wouldn't be an animal. Like we would have more in common with a plant than we would with this alien life form. Mm. Another good example that you can even see on Earth is uh-huh. that uh, about different environments on Earth. So even highly related species to humans like fish that live in the deep Eesh. sea would have an adaptation to living under high pressure, which means like, for example, uh, you know that picture of the blobfish, the one that looks like Ted Cruz? Yeah. (laughs) The reason why the blobfish looks so ridiculous is because the blobfish has evolved to live at the bottom of the ocean with extremely high water pressure. It's squished. You take it to the top, it explodes. Because it's not, it evolved to live under extremely high water pressure. We evolved to live on the air pressure that is on Earth. If we get too Mm -hmm. much or too little, we either implode or explode. Just ask the people on the friggin', um, the, what's it called? The, the oh, submersible from a few months on. ago. Um, <laughs> Is it? I don't even know if it's still too soon, but yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But not only like those kinds of fish, but like there are bacteria on earth. They're called extremophiles that live in extremely acidic environments or really mm. cold. There's a species of worm that we found on Antarctica that if their temperature is brought above zero, they die. They melt because they oh, can't whoa. survive in above zero temperatures. There are extremophiles that if they're taken out of like an extremely high acidity or high heat yeah. environment will die because they're not adapted mm. to it. So yeah. on that note, can you imagine us being able to exist in the same space as these types of life and at the same time being able to That's create an it's... organism between the two of them that could exist in either of those environments? <laughs> I mean, it would be more likely that we just travel to another dimension of earth that have humans and like that's more likely i feel like than aliens from a different planet and yes. all of this different stuff yeah and even humans that have been separated from us along a long enough time scale will not be able to breed i actually had this whole science fiction story idea for a long time that was called version mismatch which was mm-hmm. like kind of like where we started genetically engineering ourselves but different capitalist brands started getting in on like things so like everybody like you know you sign up for one of the different brands of packages of genetic enhancements right like there's like a coke and pepsi of different genetic enhancements but we find mm-hmm. very quickly that coke and pepsi people can't reproduce together and like oh yeah because coke and pepsi the coke and pepsi of of genetic packages of enhancements has resulted in us basically turning ourselves into different species because of oh a brand gosh Anyways, we're running low on time, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about giants as an idea, because that, that also comes up, and there's some cool stuff here. That yeah. uh, giants are a thing that do show up in comparative mythology all the time. Beings of immense size and strength, most of the stuff in the West can trace its origins to ancient Greek mythology, but there's a lot of them. You know, there's Jack and the Beanstalk, there's Goliath, there's a lot of it. It shows up a lot in different myths. Even the Sasquatch in, you know, indigenous mythology is sort of that yeah. kind of thing. Giants, apparently, according to mythologists, symbolize the human body taken to an extreme, which is supposed to highlight our frailty and our mortality. They're commonly seen as antagonists, as a source of danger. And there's a lot of different versions like Fionn Macumhail. I'm sorry to all of my Gaelic speaking friends uh, in Mm -hmm. Irish mythology. And a lot of the ideas about where these things come from, there are two major theories about where the origins of these are. And I think they're both clever. One is what's called geomythology. Hmm. So you'll notice that like in Ireland, there's a place called Giant's Causeway. And there's a lot of times where like American lakes that are shaped like footprints. Like a Paul Bunyan. Yeah. Well, Paul Bunyan's like origin comes from the fact that there are like some lakes that look like footprints. And so people were like, oh, like, you know, a giant walked across America and made all these lakes. Big guy, Paul Bunyan. But like the Giant's Causeway. So they're really like, how did this human shaped thing that's really big get made? And we interpreted that we made a story that like, oh, really big people must have done it. Yeah. Really big person made a really big thing. <laughs> 
The other showed this very interesting correlation between archaeology and paleontology, because we see stories like in India, the Mahabharata, which has an account of gigantic heroes and creatures, are probably because they live near something called the Savalic Hills that have fossilized remains of ancient megafauna. And so there's this idea that one of the things that might be the origins of the giants is us discovering fossils from the Pleistocene or from the Mesozoic era. So dinosaurs or uh, Pleistocene animals. Before yeah. we like conceived of dinosaurs, we might have been like, oh, that okay. might have been a giant man. Oh. So there's some ideas that there that we might be looking at, like looking at myths about giants in certain places and their access to fossils of large animals. Right. We found big bones. Mm-hmm. Could be a big person. Some writers like St. Augustine or Herodotus or Pliny the Elder have written about giants and speculated about their existence based on discovering what appear to be fossils from their writing. And mm. that you see like academic Discussions of giants in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance and early modern period, usually discovered by the discovery of fossils or like Pleistocene bones. Gotcha. So people just finding fossils and trying to make sense Mm -hmm. of it. Now, the reason why I like to address this, and this also speaks to the bigger thesis of this show, is that um, conspiracy theories like this and like these sort of like mythological things are not innocent. One of the problems is that conspiracy theories, like, you know, the idea that the aliens have been messing with history and were, you know, uh, historians are just trying to cover it up or whatever, are similar. Like conspiracy theories and far-right ideologies have this overlink that is this idea of a mythic core, a narrative structure that simplifies complex issues into digestible stories, which creates yep. a kind of us versus them mentality. Like, you know, the historians, the mainstream archaeologists are trying to hold us back. Right. And conspiracy theories, and in this case, this is kind of like an older one, but it can be used to have a sort of racial or ethnic undertone. This was definitely used to demonize Philistines back in the day, mm-hmm. which aligns in modern day with the far right's focused on racial purity and racial yeah. supremacy and creates a structural component that is inherently designed to be divisive and exclusionary. Mm -hmm. Also, they tend to require a permanent repudiation of disbelief, similar to an ideological commitment, makes individuals more susceptible to extremist ideologies as they've already been conditioned to reject the mainstream explanations. Yeah. Mainstream archaeologists will tell you that it's this, but ancient astronaut theorists have a different idea. Yeah. And if you're already primed to disbelieve mainstream archaeologists that you got into ancient aliens, it's not that much more of a mental leap to then get into like, well, I don't believe the mainstream people who say that there's no difference biologically between different races. Right. You find yourself spiraling down into these extreme pseudoscientific areas. Mm. Both cultural theorists and the far right feel alienated from mainstream culture or politics because of their beliefs, which makes them more susceptible to alternative narratives that try to explain their disaffection because in many ways, they also have an affinity for narrative form over substance. Narrative Mm. can be more influential than actual content, which is kind of part of how our brains work that we need to kind of fight. Um, It's probably why conspiracy theories are so popular anyway, but they become a vehicle for ideological indoctrination, both on the far right and in conspiracy theories. That's why there's a large overlap between the far right and conspiracy theories. Right. And it builds a shared enemy. Both conspiracy theories like this and the far right often find similar enemies, such as global organizations, specific 
ethnic, ethnic or religious groups or governmental institutions that create a common ground to merge their beliefs under a single thing. So the Goliath story could serve to alienate individuals from mainstream religious beliefs, i.e. like, hey, Judaism is not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an actual story about the people who and their their struggles and, and their God and all that kind of stuff. It's actually an alien. Their mythology is just aliens. Also, Goliath could be seen as a monster, but a monster who is specifically portrayed as a hybrid, as something that is mixed. And that is part of its evil, yeah. which could be twisted to serve around ideas of racial purity. And right. which is a concept the far right loves to get into. Like the part of reason why these people are evil is because they're not pure. They're not pure. They're hybrids. They're mixed things. And that's bad. Mm. And I found that that came out in this. I'm like, one of the parts I felt uncomfortable when they were talking about the human alien hybrids in such like a derogatory way is like, it's sort of like the way of talking about mixed race people. Yeah. And about like, you know, white supremacy stuff. I'm I'm sorry. You did a podcast with Tristan, the person who thinks about the far right constantly. No, 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 no. no. That's, (laughs) I mean, I, I've taught, I mean, I... I've made a couple of videos on my YouTube channel about like horror and like the philosophy of horror and like this idea of like impurity is a part of it. And I, I just hate that term so much because it reminds me of exactly this, of, mm-hmm. of just like racial purity, uh, you know? So it's just like, ugh, I hate, I don't know. Just like that, that terminology has been just sort of yeah. warped in my head to be very, very gross because of stuff like this. Yeah. yeah. The other part too, that I also want to dig into on this and like going into the past and trying to demythologize these things. Things. In many ways, Goliath, specifically coming from the Hebrew Bible, it's it's interesting that we always return to the Old Testament of the Bible because it seems like a lot of the things that are trying to demythologize canon or, or people's religious beliefs focus very heavily on things that are very important to Jewish people. Right. And one of my like things about conspiracy theories is that almost all of them go back to the protocols of the elders of Zion, which is basically like the beginning of modern day anti-Semitism. And that like mm. any conspiracy theory, if you scratch at it hard enough, becomes anti-Semitism. It goes right there. Yeah. Like think about this show so far about all the Bible based conspiracies we've done. It's always been Old Testament. I was running it back in my head because this is a really good point because they will talk about stuff like the Ark of the Covenant, the book that the Ark of the Covenant that contains the the contract between God and man about how to live. The other one being, you just said manna, the gift from God that was Mm -hmm. designed to get the Jews through 40 years in the desert. Like all of these very important for the Jewish identity. It's like these are key parts of their story. And so all of these things are like in many ways. Old Testament. Yeah. (laughs) I'll be interested. They'll probably talk about the gospels at some point, but it does seem interesting that so much of the ancient astronaut stuff focuses on stuff from the Hebrew. Hebrew Bible. And as we talked about, there's a lot of racist overtones in ancient astronaut theory yes. that a lot of this comes back to trying to delegitimize or demythologize Judaism. And that's yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that because I keep thinking of all the Bible stuff that they point to as aliens. And I think so far of what we've covered in the show, it's all been Old Testament stuff and not New Testament stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. That's a little telling. I successfully did the part where Tristan makes you sad. I think so. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and so yeah, when I said I'm like, oh, I don't know if I have enough to do this show, then I ended up um going like 15 minutes we went over, time. over time. But that's okay. I think this was worth it. I think we touched on a lot of really good points. Started with just a simple like, oh, let's talk about Goliath, and then we're just like, anyway, here's why aliens and humans can't have babies, and also why these. Th- theories are dangerous and bad, which I think is sort of 
the point of this podcast. It's like the deeper part. Like a part of it is having fun and teaching history. The other part is that these kinds of conspiracy theories, like my research outside of this podcast is very much tied to confronting the far right and far right narratives about history and conspiracy theories. I am learning because my channel is definitely going in that direction that conspiracy theories are integral to far right ideologies. And we find every time we dig into these, like, oh, here's where the Nazis are. Interesting. And uh, so I think that it's also part of, well, this is a spice way to put it, but it is part of anti-fascist agitation to confront conspiracy theories. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. We joked at the start that like, you know, this could be someone's first episode to listen to. And I think it's honestly because we covered all of these different things and we went in this direction. I think it's a good first episode. So I hope (laughs) you enjoyed it, everyone. And uh, you can always follow more Probs Not Aliens at our handles on both Twitter and Blue Sky. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting it right now. So um, we're at Probs Not Aliens on Twitter and propsnotaliens.bsky.social on Blue Sky. Perfect. Perfect. Tristan, you've been talking about your videos and your YouTube channel for a bit. What's that about? My YouTube channel is called Step Back. The idea of the channel is that we need to use the past to understand the world around us. One of the mm-hmm. most important things about that being just looked up, I just went on Nebula and I just saw your big face because your course just came out. Oh my God, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, but basically like my work is on Step Back about talking about issues in the world and about using the past to understand it. And I'm leaning more heavily into talking about conspiracy theories because I think they're one of the most insidious and evil things um, that is ruining all of us. Um, If I wanted to learn about whether or not Marvel stole Spider-Man's original costume, where would I need to go? That's a spicy one. That's so funny that you mentioned that because I made a video about that on my YouTube channel called NerdSync. And it's a channel where I use comics and superheroes and cartoons and other fun stuff to teach about real world history, philosophy, culture, art. Mostly I'm just having fun at the moment. And that that's a fairly old video, but it's a good video. I go into the, the theory, to, speaking of conspiracy theories, this theory that people have where Marvel may have stolen the original costume for Spider-Man. And I talk about stuff that might be true, stuff that might not be true. Not to be that guy, but um, what is the racial background of um, of Stan Lee and many of the people who founded Marvel? Um, they are, if you can believe it, all Jewish people. <laughs> interesting, interesting that there's a lot of conspiracies that they um that they 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 stole all this stuff. And that's interesting. Although big twist, the person they may have stolen it from was a comic book creator who is also Jewish, who's very famous. And I, oh, I'll just leave it. To, I'll leave you there. So go look that up. That's NerdSync. N e r d s y n c. Um, you can also listen to this podcast on Nebula, and that's just nebula.tv slash probably not aliens. And ad um, free. signing up ad early free. episodes when we can get it when we get ourselves back in rotation. We'll get it back up and it helps us out when you sign up with that link. It really does. So Mm -hmm. we appreciate that. And we appreciate everyone who writes reviews of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, as well as responding to the Q&As on Spotify. We keep getting so many of those. We should read them out on an episode. In fact, next time we do a QA and a episode, we should take some Q&As from Spotify. So ask us your cues and stuff like that. And also just tell your friends about the show. Maybe send them this episode because it could be a good first episode. What do they call that? Um, Like an onboarding episode in the comics. Yeah. Or send them, you know what? Tell us what your favorite onboarding episode 
episode is for your friends, what your fa- what you think our best episode is so far for getting people into this show. Mm-hmm. But if you do tell your friends, a great place to send them is a very simple website called probsnotaliens.com. And maybe if enough people tell us what the best onboarding episode is, we can have that embedded on probsnotaliens.com for people to listen to. Nice. We'll see. Until next time, my name is Scott Nicewander. I'm Tristan Johnson, and the truth is out there. Probably Goliath Online. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's like another one that's like Tom Kenny. He's like, and David's online. Zerg David, the flying David. Zerg Rush David. (laughs) I'm Zerg Rush David. That's actually a good gamer handle. (laughs) 